Lord, we come to a time in the service now when we open the book of life. Its pages are inspired by holy men of God who wrote as they were moved upon by the Spirit. I thank you for this occasion, this side of eternity, to stand one more time and to preach the word of the Lord. Touch us, O Lord, and give us clarity and give us understanding. Touch my memory, O God, and help me to repeat the things that you said to me in this service. There are hungry souls that need to hear the spiritual food. Bless the day, O your word, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 2,000 years ago, there was a Savior that was born in the city of David, the Bible said, who is Christ the Lord. The world at that time was looking for a Messiah. Israel was looking for a Messiah, a victorious, triumphant, warlike Messiah. They were looking for an army general to invade and come in and establish a kingdom and sit people on thrones and drive out the Romans and do all kind of physical things. We a lot of times try to put physicality into spiritual matters, but you can never do spiritual things through carnal means. You can never satisfy spiritual desire for, by carnality and the things of the flesh. They will never satisfy. I used to sing a song, this world will try to satisfy that longing in your heart, but you'll be just as before. You'll never find true satisfaction until you find the Lord. Until you find the Lord. Until you find the Lord. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. We know that there was a man in the temple at that time whose name was Zacharias. And the Bible said he waited for the consolation of Israel. And he was promised by the Lord that he would not depart until he saw the salvation of the Lord. There was a woman in that temple. Her name was Anna. And the Bible said she was of great age, but said she was promised by the Lord that she would not see death until she had seen the salvation of Israel. Those people were looking for and anticipating the coming of a Savior, the coming of a Messiah. Last Sunday, we talked about Mark chapter 10 and about Bartimaeus and a rich young ruler and about children coming to the Lord. Uh, we had all of those questions asked about them pertaining to what we're about to discover today. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 through 8 uh, continues on with the saga that we began with the Lord last Sunday. It reads like this. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew, two sets of brothers, asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. 
And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles, and these are the beginnings of sorrows. We're living in a very difficult time, a very difficult time. This is the last days of what we call the church age or the grace dispensation or the time when the door is wide open and the Lord is saying, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That door is wide open. You know, the Church of Brotherly Love, the Philadelphian church, the letter to the Philadelphian church is about liberty and about uh, the things that God does to make a, a person know in his heart that he is in right standing with God. We're in that Philadelphian age, that age of the open door. But that age is about to come to a close. It'll come to a close by a great event that we're all looking for. And that is the rapture of the church. Amen. Sometimes people get confused between the rapture of the church and the second coming of the Lord. Those are two different events. Absolutely. We're talking today more about the second coming of Jesus than we are about the rapture. The rapture is the next event on God's calendar. No prophecy, nothing has to be fulfilled before the next event. There's nothing that I know of has to be satisfied before the catching away of the saints. In fact, the, a good sermon to preach with Jesus could come today. Amen. Ray Hughes preached a sermon a few years ago, Jesus could come tonight. Amen. And that still is the case because the Bible said, unto them that look for him. Are you looking for Jesus? Are you really looking for Jesus? Because unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time unto salvation, without sin unto salvation. When Jesus comes at the rapture of the church, he will not come all the way back to the earth. That event is recorded for us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's at the rapture. So before you are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, the graves will burst open, and sleeping saints shall rise with glorified bodies fashioned like unto his own glorious body. That's the next event on God's calendar. Praise God. And the Bible said it would happen in the moment and the twinkling of an eye. Boy, that sounds like pretty fast to me, doesn't it, you? Next time you blink your eyes, you could be in the presence of the Lord that next time you blink your eyes, Forest Lawn will have hills of dirt piled up and sleeping saints will get up out of that grave. 
Amen. And then the Bible said, and we shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. When they come out of the grave, Brother John, the Bible said, the power of the Lord is going to translate them and transfer them from this old world and from that grave into the presence of the Lord. And the Bible said, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And a little addendum there, Barbara says, comfort one another with these words. Hallelujah. Comfort one. What do you say to somebody that their house burned? You comfort them and tell them the Lord is coming. God's got a better house. God's got a new house. He's been working on it 2,000 years. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Praise God. That is the rapture of the church. He will not come all the way to the earth at the rapture. He'll stop somewhere in midair because we will be caught up to meet him in the air. First time you see Jesus will be somewhere in the air. At the second coming, that's in Revelation 19.11, and John said, I saw the heavens open, and he said, I saw a white horse. And he said, he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And so out, of, out of his mouth there went a sharp sword to smite the nations. And the Bible said, and the armies of heaven followed him. Praise God, he will come all the way back to this earth. And he will come back to a place I'm going to preach to you about this morning. And that is the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives was a great retreat for the Lord. He loved to go over there and pray. He loved to assemble his disciples and, and listen to him as he preached. And he taught them the things of God. He is anticipating the looming of the cross is darkly hanging over him. He knows that the days are short. And he knows that the time is drawing near for him to fulfill the purpose of his coming. The Bible said the Son of Man, Jesus said the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners. And the Son of Man must die. And the Son of Man must suffer. And the Son of Man will be killed. But on the third day, on the third day, he will arise from the dead. Praise God. I want to tell you our God is alive. Our God is not dead. You can't set our God on a shelf on the mantle somewhere. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's not wore on a chain and he's, he's not put in somebody's pocket. Praise God. He reigns supreme in the heavens and he sits upon the throne. Hallelujah. At the right hand of God as the intercessor and as the advocate and as the mediator between God and man. He's there right now interceding for you and praying for you right now. 
He ever lives to make intercession for every one of us. The temple was a popular place for people to go. They enjoyed going to the temple. The temple, what temple are you talking about, Pastor? Well, there's the one Solomon built. And that one lasted for a long time, and it was such a, a, a large place. The temple occupied over half of all of the acreage of the city of Jerusalem. You could see it from any point. In fact, you could see it from a long ways away because it was on Mount Moriah, and it sat atop Mount Moriah. And everybody, as you would travel toward Jerusalem, yet they'd sing a song, we're going up to Jerusalem. We're going up to Jerusalem. We're going up to the temple. We're going up to the presence of God. We're coming up to where God is. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, when you walk in that door, you're going to an elevated position. You say, Pastor, I have a hard time pulling up that aisle. It looks to me like I'm going into a downward. No, the presence of God is an upward situation. When you see these things, look up. God wants you to look up. God wants you to see into uh, heaven. God wants you to discern spiritual things. Quit looking at the things that are below and things that confound you and things that trouble you. Lift your eyes upon Jesus. Lift your eyes upon Jesus. Lift your eyes upon Jesus. He's the one who can help you. He's the one who has salvation. He's the one who has healing. He's the one who has deliverance. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. Boy, Solomon's temple was a beautiful sight. It was really something to behold. It was covered, all the floors were covered with gold. There was gold on the doors. There was all kinds of precious stones embedded. It was a beautiful structure. It was the amazement of everyone who went. And the Jews were very, very proud of their temple. They still are. They still are. They still have a real great concern for their coming Messiah. They're looking for a Savior. They're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a man they can put on a throne and worship. Of all the nations of the world that are looking forward, Israel is looking backward. They're looking back to a time when the Bible said they would reinstate animal worship, sacrifices. Could I tell you that I have been to that yeshiva? That means school in Israel. A yeshiva where they're training rabbis now to go back and start uh, letting the blood of animals suffice and offer sacrifices once again? That's exactly true. In fact, the priest's robe, the garment, uh, the, the silver trumpet without a seam, the golden laver, the, the table of showbread, all of that is already constructed. They're just waiting for the man. Waiting for the man. But the Bible said in John 1, 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many 
as did receive him, gave he power to become the sons of God. Wow, can you believe that, that God has sent Jesus into this world and the very people he sent him into the world to, to, to minister to, they rejected him? They rejected him. They turned their back on him. They, they hated him. And could I tell you, it was very religious people that did the most hating. It was a group called scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees, Levites that were excellent and trained in law-keeping and works righteousness. But when Jesus came, it put an end to all of that shedding of the blood of animals. For thousands of years, the blood of animals was shed so that men could be and women could be indulged. That means God just kind of didn't regard that. He covered it up much like he uh, covered up the ark that contained three elements of rebellion against God. One was the broken law of God, the tablets that Moses threw down. Those broken fragments were put into the Ark of the Covenant. Another was the, 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 the manna, the pot of manna, which the Israelis would go out every day and they would pick up the manna and God fed them and sustained them in the wilderness with the manna. The other was Aaron's rod that budded when they rebelled against God and built a golden calf and worshipped a golden calf instead of worshipping God. So all of those instruments were there and they were placed in the ark and the covering was over it and the Bible said God did not look upon their sin as long as the covering stayed upon the ark of the covenant. You remember what happened one day when they knocked the thing off the ox cart and the top came off? Several hundred thousand of them fell dead when Uzzah made the mistake of touching the ark. But as long as that mercy seat stayed there on that ark, God could not see their sin. And he indulged them by his own. He, he said, you have limited me. Don't you? He doesn't want you to limit him, but he would limit himself. The Bible said because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. In which it was impossible for God to lie. That we who have fled for refuge might lay hold upon eternal life. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast which entereth into that within the veil. So every one of the Jewish people took great pride in Solomon's temple. But that's not the temple that Jesus was in on this day. There was another temple after the Chaldeans came in 579 B.C. and destroyed Solomon's temple. In fact, the general that was doing the destruction told him, don't, don't tear down that temple, but they went ahead and the soldiers went ahead and tore it down anyway. It was a magnificent stru structure, but the Chaldeans came and got the 
rubies and it got the diamonds and it got the precious stones and the armies and the people of the Chaldeans, they came and stole all things that was worth something and burned the rest. So that temple was destroyed. But after 70 years of captivity that began in Babylon and then went to Persia, God said, it's time for your people, my people, to go home. After 70 years of captivity, Ezra the scribe and Nehemiah the prophet came back to Jerusalem to the rubbish heaps and began to rebuild the walls and, and put the gates and the timbers back in their place for the cities. And another temple was put there. It only lasted about 600 years before it was in such disrepair that they couldn't use it. And so there was a monarch whose name was Herod, Herod Antipas. Herod was a puppet king of the strong Roman government. And he wanted to really please the Jewish people because he could stay in his position and he could be over the province and he could gain wealth from all of that if he could please the Jews. So he said, I'll rebuild for you the temple. Now, those of you who've been with me, just about everything you touch over there was built by Herod. The aqueduct from up at the Jordan River that ran all the way down Jerusalem, it was built by Herod. In fact, just about everything you put your hand on, the guide will tell you that was built by Herod. Herod the Great built that. You'd go up to Caesarea Philippi, and he would show you buildings, and he would say, that was built by Herod the Great. He was a great builder, and he built for the Jews a temple. And, buddy, it was a lavish one. It had gold all over the walls and gold on the floor and gold in the doors. And all the Jewish people were so proud of it. It was that temple that Jesus walked into with his disciples. It was that temple where Jesus platted the whip and whipped the people that were trading the animals and selling and the money changers, the Bible said, overturned the tables. But there's an interesting thing right there in that incident that happened in the temple. Jesus drove the cattle out. Jesus overturned the table of the money changers. But he said this, the doves that were there, he said, and take the doves away. Why would Jesus drive the cattle out? Why would Jesus turn over the money changers and tear up their operation there? But he said, take the doves away. Because the Bible said a bruised reed he will not break. When he comes with his judgment, he'll always give you grace. He'll always give you a chance to do differently and do better. If they had released the doves, they would have been per permanently harmed. The money changers could put the money back up on the table. The cows could be brought back. But if you release the doves, you'll never recapture them again. When Jesus reproves and when Jesus corrects, he'll always leave you 
a way for grace and salvation. He'll always make a way for you to get back. Oh, praise God. That was the temple that was destroyed. Although it was so beautiful during Herod's time, it was destroyed by the Roman general whose name was Titus in A.D. 60. And when he came and tore that down, he went back to Rome, but he told his son to be in charge of the destruction there. And they came and destroyed the temple and stole all the gold and stole all the silver and plundered the place. And Jesus had just said to him, well, let's, let's read what Jesus said. Jesus said, one stone shall not be left upon another stone of this temple. That, well, the guy was, was so proud of it. Jesus had been talking about these backslid Sadducees. And he was talking about these, these law Levitical purposes, these prophets, the teachers of all the scribes and Pharisees, and he talked about all that, and the mood was pretty tight. And one of the disciples said, I tell you what, why don't we just kind of lighten the moment a little bit? And he said, Jesus, look around you at this building and all the pretty things that are in this building. In other words, he was trying to change the subject. Jesus was talking about woe and destruction, and he wanted to talk about how pretty the building was. Could I tell you that the kingdom of God is not about buildings? A church's greatness does not lie in the size of its building. A church's greatness does not lie in the amount of his, their offerings and their money. The greatness of a church does not lie in the beauty of its architecture or the structural composition of it. If you want to know where the greatness of a church is, you'll find it in the New Testament when the halt and the withered and the palsied were healed of the diseases that they had. When people were brought into contact with the people who were great in the kingdom of God, great things happened for them. In fact, Peter, the Bible said, would just walk down the sidewalk and where his shadow would land upon someone that was sick on the side. They'd come and lay their sick out in the street and Peter would walk by and his shadow would touch those people and they would be healed. James and John came by one that had sat at the gate, which is called Beautiful, for many, many years. And he stuck his cup up and said, Alms, alms. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. If you want to know the greatness of a church, you got to look at the power that is in the church and the great things that God does in that church. He saves people in great churches. He heals people in great churches. He delivers people in great churches. It's not about the size of your building. It's not about the size of your money. It's about the power of God that's resident in your church. Thomas Aquinas. You ever heard that name? Nope. He was a man of the 7th century. He was a great man in the Catholic Church. Had a great role to play. And he went to the Pope one day. And the Pope 
said to him, Well, Master Aquinas, the church can no longer say, Silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas said, Neither can the church say, In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We can boast of majestic buildings, but the test of our greatness is about the power of God and the Spirit of the Lord and the presence of God. Because if you have structure and you have form and you have ritual and you have institutionalism, but you don't have the power, then the Bible said that's just a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. This... This disciple said to Jesus, look all around you at this pretty building. Aren't you, aren't you proud to be a, a part of Israel and a part of the Jewish people that has a, a temple like this? And Jesus said, this one won't make it. Time's coming when not one stone will be left on another of this building. And I promise you, when you walk on the Temple Mount area in Israel, you'll realize there is nothing left of that temple. Nothing left of that temple. There's a mosque of Omar that is there. It's a Muslim mosque. A Muslim mosque. The mosque of Omar. The dome, golden dome. You see, when... Jerusalem was ravaged by the Mongols and the barbarians. They held knives to the neck of the rabbis and said, Tell us where that temple is supposed to be. And they did not tell them. They told them the wrong place. And the temple of Omar is built in the wrong place. The real temple sits about 150 meters north of where they built that, glory to God, where they built that mosque of Omar. Do you remember in the Six Days War when Israel defeated the Egyptians and the Assyrians and routed them? There was a general whose name was Moshe Dayan. You remember him with a patch over his eye? I'm about to make you remember him, aren't I? He was in charge of all the Israeli forces. And when he took Muslim East Jerusalem and freed the Temple Mount area, he made a move that startled the world. He gave it back to the Arabs. And Moshe Dayan died a hated and despised man because he gave back the temple area to the Muslims. And his only explanation, why did you do that? He said, God told me to. You see, if the Jews had rebuilt their temple, at that time they would have built it in the wrong place. God works in mysterious ways. Mysterious ways. 
Jesus looked at that temple and he said, there will not be one stone left upon another stone. And the Bible said then he got the disciples into the Mount of Olives, verse 3, over against the temple. And he had the two sets of brothers, James and John, the sons of thunder. The ones that were begging to be put one on his right hand and one on his left hand in the kingdom. They all gathered around Jesus and their question was this. When shall these things be and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus said this, take heed that no man deceive you. Well, what kind of an answer is that? Lord, what will be the signs of your coming? What will be the signs, the indications that we should look for? We're looking for signs. And Jesus said, take heed that no one deceive you. For many shall come in my name and shall deceive many. Lord of mercy, can you believe that that great day of Jacob's trouble, that time of judgment upon the Jews, that that time will usher in antichrists. The Bible said, for many antichrists are going out into the world. You know, in biblical times, there was a man called Bar-Jesus Bar that claimed that he was the Messiah. There were others that claimed that they were the one that was sent from God. Jesus made such an impression upon the Israeli nation that many wanted to be the Messiah. Many wanted to have that place. There will be false messiahs, Jesus said. Many false Christs would come along and draw many into deception. And by the time of Jesus, several Jews had come along claiming to be the Christ. There were some living even in the day of Jesus. Antichrist, Acts chapter 5, 36 mentions two would-be messiahs that lived before the time of Jesus. Once was named Theudas. He claimed that he could part the Jordan River and he deceived about 400 people and led them to their deaths. Another was Judas the Galilean. He was a radical anti-Roman revolutionary and founded the Zealot movement in Israel. One was a man named Simon Bar Kochba. He started a rebellion that lasted three years and cost thousands of lives in Israel. His revolt led to a harsh Roman crackdown that left Jerusalem in utter ruins. Others included Moses of Crete. He claimed that he would part the Mediterranean Sea and lead his followers across dry land to the island of Crete to Israel. And many leapt from the cliffs at his command and were drowned in the sea. In the 1100s, a man named Moses Aldar told his followers to sell all their possessions and because Messiah was coming at Passover in 1127, Passover came and went and his followers were left destitute. 
1666, a man claimed to have heard the voice of God declaring that he was the Son of God. And he led his followers to the city of Constantinople and was arrested by the Turkish sultan. The sultan ordered him to either prove that he was the Messiah or be executed, and he promptly, promptly became a Muslim. The Jews rejected their true Messiah, and many impostors rose to take his place. In our day, our times now, there are many so-called messiahs that have arisen. Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell, Mary Baker Patterson, Glover Eddy, and Sung Myun Moon come to mind. Many can remember Jim Jones, founder of People's Temple, that said he was the messiah. And a thousand people committed suicide. There is only one messiah. His name is Jesus. And there is salvation in no other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the right Messiah. Verse 7, and when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. For such things must needs be, but the end is not yet. According to a chronological professor who teaches an Ivy League school, Will Durant, he said, in the 3,421 years of recorded history, there have only been 268 years of peace. 3,421 years of war and only 268 years of peace. I need to tell you, we're on a warring planet. We're on a, a planet where nation rises against nation. We're living and inhabiting a planet where there are wars and rumors of wars. You can sit at your television right now and see Russia invading the Ukraine. You can see all over the world hostility and everybody holds their breath over China and over North Korea and over Iran and Iraq. But Jesus said, be not troubled. Be not troubled. You're the people of God. Don't be troubled. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't let that upset you. Don't be shaken. Don't be moved by that. Be not troubled. How in the world, Lord, can I be at peace and calm and confident knowing all of that's going on. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. The peace of God will rule and reign in your hearts. 
The peace of God will give you confidence to trust him in times of trouble. The peace of God will give you a calm assurance that God is in control, that he knows the future, that he has his hand upon all of history, and God is moving all things into position to accomplish his will. Somebody give God some glory and praise. Nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles, earthquakes, earthquakes, upheaval in the world. Long as the world stands, there will be upheavals, earthquakes, Mount St. Helens, 20,000 Hiroshima bombs. That explosion at Mount Helens was larger than 20,000 bombs drip, dropped on Hiroshima. Blew out the side of a mountain and destroyed 250 miles a circle all around Mount St. Helens. Was it in the ocean, over the Indian Ocean, where they had an earthquake and it caused a tsunami that killed 300,000? Earthquakes. We love to go and see Yellowstone, but did you know of the five super volcanoes that are on Earth, one of them is in Yellowstone. But don't let your heart be troubled. But be not troubled. Well, Pastor, you just told me that about people fighting. Well, I'm telling you that about natural disasters. God rides upon the waters. He speaks and the wind obeys His voice. God, every morning, rolls out the heavens. God knows about every wave. God knows about every storm. God knows about every time there anything happens in nature because He is the God who rules all of nature. All things consist by the word of His mouth. And our God is in charge. And as long as our God is in charge, don't be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Because all of that, wars and rumors of wars, and let me get the pestilence in there. Pestilence, disease, famine. Spanish flu killed more people in the armies than World War I. Fighting a world war, but more of them died from Spanish flu in 1918 than got killed in the war. We all know about the Asian flu, the bird flu. We've heard about these viruses, and certainly by now, if you don't know about COVID, you understand that's a pestilence. That's a disease. Not only disease, but also famine. 
Did you know every 1.3 seconds a person on this earth dies from famine? Nothing to eat. Many people wonder, you know, about Russia invading Israel. The Bible prophesies that that's going to happen. The king of Rosh, the Gog and the Magog, would invade from the north. Why, why would Russia want to invade Israel? For many years, prophecy preachers preached that it's because of the oil, that they needed the Middle Eastern oil. But we found out now that the Russian bear is hungry. And in the Beka Valley, the Transjordan area of Israel, in that valley, it is fertile enough to feed the whole world. Russia won't invade for oil. They'll invade for food. And when you hear about all of these famines, pestilence, disease, wars, rumors of wars, and all of those things, what, what are we supposed to do about all of that? Don't be troubled. Be, don't be troubled. Because the time is coming of Jacob's trouble, the Bible says. Jeremiah said it was Jacob's trouble. And the, Zechariah said there's a, a, a day that is coming. It's a dark day, and there never has been a day like it. A day when the angel will come and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Pastor, why should I not let that trouble me? That troubles me. Well, the wonderful blessing right there is you're not going to be here when that happens. Why is that, Pastor? 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9. Come on, Olivia. He's waiting on them words, wasn't you? First Thessalonians 5 and 9. God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed us to wrath. Isaiah 26, 20. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chamber and shut the door about you. While the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. Where am I going to be when all of that wrath is poured out, Pastor? I'm going to be safe in my chamber with the door shut about me. Who said, I am the door? And if any man shall enter in by me, he shall be saved. The Lord Jesus, the right Messiah, the rightful king of all the earth. Thanks be to God. Revelation 3 and 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from that hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the face of the earth. Brother, you've got God's word on it. You've got God's promise on it. Jesus gave you a promise. I will keep you from that hour. I will sustain. There's safety in the arms of Jesus. There's peace in the arms of Jesus. There's assurance in the arms of Jesus. There's confidence in the arms of Jesus. Put all of your hopes in the arms of Jesus.
For one day, just like this day, Brother Charles, that trumpet's going to sound. An old song says, Sam, only the sound of the trumpet keeps me from going home. Only the sound of the trumpet keeps me from going home. Oh, in that great getting up morning when death's prison bars are broken, we shall rise, hallelujah, we shall rise. And when those dead saints, those sleeping saints have been awakened, the Bible said many of them that slept in the dust of the earth shall hear his voice and they shall awake. Praise be to God. Glory to God. Our loved ones that have outstripped us and gone on, they'll hear his voice and they shall awake. Oh, it's a sad day when we follow our loved ones out to the silent city of the dead and we say the committal and we pray the prayer and shake hands with the family and walk away. But I need to tell you, you just put in that ground the earthly house that that brother, that sister, that child, that aunt, that uncle, that grandfather, that grandmother, that friend. You, all that you did is put the house they lived in. But the Bible said we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed in the moment and the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. For this corruption must put on immortality. And this corruptible, after it's put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, went that whole 15th chapter before he got to therefore. Therefore, What's that therefore, therefore? He said, knowing all of this, therefore, be ye steadfast. Be ye steadfast. Unmovable. Unmovable. Are you unmovable? Unmovable. Satan, you can't move me can't move me from where I am in God. You can't move me from that standing by faith. You can't move me. Standing on the promises of God, you can't move me. Standing upon the blessing of God, you can't move me. Trust in God for my future, you can't move me. Trust in God for a house to live in, you can't move me. Hallelujah. None of these things move me. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, he that keepeth thee will neither slumber nor sleep. He will not allow the sun to smite you by day nor the moon by night. Yea, he that keepeth thee Are you kept by the power of God? Then don't let any of these things trouble you. Because God is moving all of that on. He said it this way. These things must be. God has positioned everything 
to bring everything to a head at the right time. And oh, I, I, I see it happening every day. And it's nothing but God maneuvering and putting things in order. So don't be troubled about it. Don't be troubled about the evening news. Don't be troubled. It's just God moving everything along. He's in control. He's in charge. Stand with me. Whoa, I'm tired after preaching all that good stuff. A couple joined our church not long ago and became part of the Harvest family. Around here, we're all family. We're brothers and sisters. We love the Lord. Daryl, you and Carmen come down here and stand by me. I want this church to pray for you. One of the most traumatic things that can ever happen to you in life is for you to have your house burned and lose your possessions and your goods. But the Lord supplies every need. The Lord knows exactly how you feel right now. The Lord knows what you're going through. And the Lord is your strength. And the Lord will undergird you with His right hand and uphold you. The Lord will supply. The Lord will bring to you a blessing out of all of this. He turns the darkest, most sorrowful moments into joy and peace. Weeping endures for a night season, but joy comes in the morning. Peace comes in the morning. Deliverance comes in the morning. And somehow through all of this, the Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God will take something that Satan has done with evil and He'll bring it oh, full circle and make something good out of it. Trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. He will direct your path. He will direct your path. Praise the Lord. Would you stretch your hand this way to this couple? Lord, we bring a family of our church to you. They've been through a terrible night, but they're at your house this morning. They're here to say, you're my God. They're here to say, Lord, we're depending on you. They're here to say, my faith is intact and I know in whom I have believed. I thank you for that, God. And I ask you to order the steps of these people, Lord. Open up doors, God, of opportunity and bring to them, O oh Lord, a complete deliverance and a restoration better than before. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.